John chapter 4 and verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee. I'm glad the Lord visits again. The Lord doesn't just come by and one-stop shopping. He'll come by again. How many of you needed the Lord to come by more than once? <laughs> That's not even my message, just a good thought. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Our subject this morning is simply the favor of faith. The favor of faith. Under the reading of the word of God, everybody said in Jesus' name. Jesus. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Jesus now comes back to Cana of Galilee. He had been to Capernaum, on to Jerusalem for the feast, then to Samaria before coming back to Cana. Along the way, he made it clear that Christ can only work where the hearts receive him. And ladies and gentlemen, it is still that way today. God can only work where you and I give him an open door. He will not barge into your heart, into your life, into your home without an invitation. He is a gentleman. Now he can put you in a situation that'll make you want to get a hold of God, but God can only work where you and I allow him to work. The first miracle that's recorded in the Gospel of John illustrates, as we talked last week, the transformating power of Jesus Christ. Well, the second recorded miracle that John goes into in his Gospel is this nobleman's son who is at the point of death. There are other miracles that Jesus did in between. When he was down in Jerusalem for the feast, he did other miracles, and John refers to it, but he doesn't go into any detail. It is now this second miracle that John, in his gospel, goes into detail in explaining some of the behind-the-scenes, as it were, uh, action and context. And so we read that Jesus is back in that city of Cana where he turned the water into wine, which is his first recorded miracle. And now we see this second miracle of the nobleman's death. That first miracle talked about the transformation, uh, transformative power of God and the transformation that God does in our lives. And really that's what Easter was all about. And we talked about that the last Sunday. But this particular miracle, I believe, illustrates the necessity of faith that is required of all of us in Jesus Christ. It is interesting that there are three expressions in this story that relate to faith. Twice it is specifically stated that the nobleman believed in verse 50 and in verse 53. And then it also uses the word besought. It says that again he besought Jesus in verse 47. The word besought in the Greek is stronger than the words that are mentioned in terms of just believing. To besought or to besiege him means to ask or to petition. And it conveys the idea of pleading in faith. These steps of faith, I believe, illustrates the movement and the process of an individual's relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that I can present to you from the Word of God that no single individual can truly be saved 
without going through these different steps of faith in Jesus Christ until he has passed through and come to an area where he totally trusts in Jesus Christ. The very first thing I believe that's important for us to focus on this morning is the development, the development of your faith. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. As we read through this story, we notice the progression of this man's approach to Christ. First he heard, then he came, and finally he sought. First he heard, then he came, and finally he sought. Ladies and gentlemen, Christian faith grows from these three essential areas. You have to first of all hear. Now let's unpack this for just a moment. It is important for all of us to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The nobleman, the Bible says in verse 47, heard that Jesus was come out of Judea and the Galilee. He'd heard the stories. He'd heard the mighty work of Jesus. And he had come to understand that he was no ordinary person. I believe that a lot of people that have not had the experience with Christ that you and I perhaps have, they do not understand that Jesus Christ is more than just a historical figure. He is more than just something that some group of the world, a large portion of the world, two billion people in this world believe is their Messiah. He's much more than that, ladies and gentlemen. He was God manifest in the flesh. But perhaps this nobleman, Maybe he even had a glimpse of it intellectually. And here he had to understand that he was more than just an individual that was causing a commotion and there was all of this talk that was going throughout the community. But here was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. And he figured that if ever a miracle was going to be performed upon his son, it would have to be done by Jesus. I believe many people ask why, as we've even talked about here in this service this morning. Why do missionaries go onto foreign fields and disturb the culture and the thinking and the practices of people of another nation when there is no shortage of need right here in their own home country? I've had people ask me that question. And people that ask that question are people who do not understand the sovereignty of God in redemption. You must understand, and it is revealed, I believe, through the teachings of Christ and through the followers of Jesus Christ, you and I must get a revelation and realize that we are committed to the task of an evangelization that knows no national barriers. You have to move your thinking from local to global. You have to get a revelation that what God is doing is that every single individual in this world has an opportunity to hear the gospel at least one time. At least one time. People say to us, why do you present this Messiah drama? Why do you do it? I'm going to tell you why. All the work, all the, all, all the expense and everything that goes into and people volunteering their time and changing the platform and bringing animals in and the carpet and cleaning and the horses and the blah, blah, blah. Why does a church go through? I'm going to tell you why. Because over two weekends we had the opportunity to reach 2,000 people in the Palm Bay area with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how many people got the Holy Ghost? How many people got baptized? How many people became members of your church? Let me tell you something. You got to first of all hear. You got to first of all hear. I don't know about you, but I was glad when somebody told me, hallelujah, Jesus Christ is the answer. I may not have been ready the first time I heard it. I may not have given my heart to God the first time I heard it. But you got to start with hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Why does Vintage Merchant fly his plane way up there and risk life and limb all of these years and go way up there and fly over little Indian villages and open his window and throw all those tracks out the window and flood some little old Indian villages never even seen a white man before? Why does he do all of that? Because these people have a right to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're totally isolated from the rest of the world. But they got some little track flying down from a plane up in the air and when it drops in front of them, there's a little fishing lure that they can use to fish and there's a little track on Acts 2.38. Hallelujah. That Jesus Christ is the answer. You know why? Because everybody ought to hear the gospel. Here's how Paul said in Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Without a preacher. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A more literal translation would be faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the gospel of Christ. It is imperative that the gospel be heard. I said it is imperative that the gospel be heard. Last Tuesday night we were over here at Texas Roadhouse Grill. They're getting a lot of, they're getting a lot of advertisement today, Brother Richard. We were over there at Texas Roadhouse Grill on Tuesday night and I ran into the city councilman here in Palm Bay, uh, Harry Santiago Jr. who was at our drama last Sunday night and and we were talking about the Messiah drama, and he was introducing me to some of his family who's come down and visit from New York. And we were talking and so forth, and we were talking about the, the gospel, and we were talking about the Messiah drama. And I was telling him, you know, about how we've had a chance to reach over 2,000 people with the gospel. And he said, you know what? He said, the thing that amazes me is this. He said, no matter what, he said, the fact that people have an opportunity to hear the gospel. He said, the way you just told the story, even if you had no understanding of who Jesus was, you packed into two hours the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the teaching, all the different things of his life. And you told the story. And he said, you know what? If nothing else, you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, well, you know what? Every time we do this thing, we learn a little bit more. But it's not about drama. It's not about saying, hey, we want you guys to know the First Pentecostal Church can do dramas. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ is the answer. Somebody said, how come y'all are so rough on him? And Jimmy yells at him and those Roman guards are punching him. It was a lot worse than that. Those Romans were barbarians. We want you to understand that Jesus Christ loves you. And he went through all of that sacrifice. Why? He wasn't some Hollywood figure. He was a man. He was God manifested flesh. And ladies and gentlemen, if he went through all of that, hallelujah, don't you know that he loves you? Even though you've made mistakes, even though you've got a mess going on right now in your life, he's still the answer. Oh, hallelujah. You've got to hear. It starts with hearing. The second thing we see about this nobleman is that he came to Christ. Now, this is the progression. This is the development of your faith. First of all, you hear. You hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the next thing is that you came to Christ. I see Bill and June back there. God bless you. Love you guys. These two are wonderful people that are, I, I think y'all are moving down here sometime this year. I'm not sure what their plans are, but they're both professors at Purdue University. And last year, we went with them to China. And we went to these underground churches in China. And we got in there, and we didn't know what we were getting into. We were meeting in factories, you know, and all this. We were going subway, 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 subway. And we finally take it, and this guy would pick us up, and that guy would pick us up. And I felt like I was in some sort of an old espionage movie. And we finally got to this group of people, and we got there, and they started singing, worshiping, and we got up there, and we just started sharing the Word of God with them. And boy, I'm going to tell you what, it wasn't, I mean, it didn't take but just minutes. There was so much hunger, and people, and all they had to do was hear it. Isn't that right, Brother Bill, Sister Jude? All they had to do was hear it. 
And I said, now God wants to pour the Holy Ghost out. And it wasn't two or three or five or a hundred people that came to the altar. The entire church came to the altar. I mean, I said, everybody come up on the platform. They thought the, the thing's going to fall apart. We all come. And I said, now we're going to pray for the Holy Ghost. And everybody got the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to come to the Lord. That's why we have altar calls. You got to come to the Lord. You got to make movement at some point. Now, let's talk about this for just a moment. Because I think this is important. This nobleman, he could have heard about Christ. But if he didn't come to Christ, he never made a move toward Christ. Look at this. When he heard that Jesus would come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him. That's the key. When faith is created in the human heart by the word of God, there is a movement toward Christ that is necessary. Inertia has to be replaced by action. The voluntary response of the mind, the heart, and the will is essential for every single individual. You've got to move toward God. You say, well, bless God, if God loves me, he'll come around here and find me where I'm at. The lady with the issue of blood would have never been healed if she didn't get up out of her house, even though she had a socially embarrassing disease, and get out into the street and press through the crowd and touch the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, immediately virtue went out from the Lord. He didn't even realize it. He said, somebody touch me. His disciples said, everybody's pressing and touching the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I felt virtue go out from me. Boy, there's something about a man or woman that'll make a move toward Christ. God bless every one of you that came to church today. You could have sat at home, but you got up, you got showered, you got cleaned up the best you could, put on some clothes, hallelujah, put on some deodorant, did something with your hair, got up in the car, got the kids together. Somebody said, whoever wrote that song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, never had small kids going to church on a Sunday morning. Ain't nothing easy about Sunday <laughs> Amen. But you overcame whatever you got here. Hallelujah. I come up here and they already had fire trucks and uh, ambulance. I didn't know what all was going to the accident out front. Come on now. We're going to have church. Something's going to happen there at the first Pentecost. You may have to overcome some barriers to get here, but you got here anyhow. I'm going to tell you what. I'm praying that God rewards you. I'm praying that your time is redeemed. That's why I'm preaching with everything I've got today because I want you to know that you're not serving a God who is static. You're not serving a God. God who is unmoved by your feelings or infirmities, but you're serving a God who wants to save you and deliver you and heal you. He's a God of action. He's not made with man's hands. Many people imagine that they can just drift into an experience with Christ when the appropriate but undefined time arrives. But that, my friend, is a delusion. There is nothing fortuitous about a personal confrontation with Jesus Christ. Christianity is not the opiate of the people. It is rather a deliberate choice, a rational and responsible encounter with the Son of God. And it has always been that way, and it will always be that way. Jesus Christ made it very clear when he preached the gospel to the kingdom, gospel of the kingdom. He said this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He said, come unto me. To others he commanded in Luke 9, 23, follow me. And to those who tended to hesitate, he urged them to strive or to agonize, to enter in at the straight gate that we read about in Luke chapter 13. All of those are active verbs that call for a vigorous response. 
So that the development of faith in a person's heart, that will bring about the favor of God. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me if you don't hear anything else. I said today, hear this one statement. will always require effort and action on the part of the listener. Bishop Myers talked about Azusa Street this morning, an incredible, powerful Bible study. When he was talking about Azusa Street, people came from all over the world. People came from Sweden. They said, we got to get to Los Angeles. We got to get to that mission down there on Azusa Street. Why? Because people are being healed and the Holy Ghost is being poured out. Just like we read about in the book of Acts, it's happening right now today. You know why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank God for everybody that made an effort, that put one foot forward and said, I don't have all my ducks in a row. I still got problems I'm dealing with, but I'm coming to the Lord anyhow. I'm a- I'm going to make a move to get to Jesus. Your parents may not like it. Your kids may not like it. Your spouse may not like it. But you got to have something within you that says, I've heard it, and I'm coming to Jesus. I'm coming to Jesus. The next thing we read, and I'm hurrying, is that he asked of Christ. He besought him that he would come and heal his son. The word besought means ask or besiege, desired, entreated, or prayed. We have made this whole matter of salvation so cheap and easy that people have forgotten the great travail of soul through which men and women in the past generations have had to go in order to come to Jesus Christ. This modern generation sits passively in church and expects the Lord to come and do them a favor. True salvation, ladies and gentlemen, requires, I said true salvation from sin, not only requires but demands of each of us a deep heart exercise to say, Lord, I have heard it and I am coming to you and I am asking you. You've got to make your petition known. Somebody say, well, the Lord knows what I have need of. You better use your voice. You better use your heart. And you better ask him. The Lord wants to see, is there an earnestness in terms of repentance and faith and obedience? We know that salvation is not of works, lest any man should boast, as we read about in Ephesians chapter 2. But at the same time, ladies and gentlemen, it is an act of appropriating faith. What does appropriating faith mean? In other words, a faith that must be applied to us individually through our personal decisions. In order to clarify what faith is and how we progress through this, C.H. Spurgeon, that great preacher and pastor in London at the turn of the century, he used to use this illustration. He said, suppose there's a fire on the third floor of a house and a child is trapped in a room up there on the third floor. A huge, strong man stands on the ground beneath the window where the child's face appears and he hollers out to that child on the third floor of a burning house and he says jump it is part of faith Spurgeon would say to know that there is a man that is there on the ground he said there's still another part of faith for the child to believe that the man is strong enough to catch the child if the child is to jump so the child has to first of all believe that there's a man there Second of all, I have to believe that the man has the ability to catch the child if the child jumps. But he said the essence of faith lies in trusting the man fully and dropping into his arms. 
So it is when we come to the Lord. Our faith must develop and progress to the point that we drop into the arms of Christ with a total commitment. It's not enough to just stand outside on the perimeter and say, I believe. It's not enough to just say, I believe he's able. But ladies and gentlemen, at some point, you and I got to make the jump. We got to make the jump and say, God, I trust in you. I don't know how you're going to fix all my problems, but I trust that you are able and I'm willing to fully commit into the arms of Christ. That's the development of your faith. But now let's move to the demand of your faith. Then said Jesus unto him, referring back to the nobleman in Luke 4, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Though the nobleman was in anguish and tears, the Lord did not spare him. He had to believe first and then see that the touch of healing upon his son was something that God could do, had the ability to do, but that also he had to believe it before he had the proof that it had happened. There are two demands that are made upon his faith and our faith. Number one is obedience to the word. He said to this man, go thy way, thy son liveth. The very first thing this nobleman had to do was he had to obey the word. Go thy way, thy son liveth. Verse 50, and the man believed the word that Jesus has spoken unto him, and he went his way. He had to first of all believe without any visible signs of evidence. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes you got to believe before the doctors can confirm it. Sometimes you got to believe while the symptoms are still there. Isaiah said, whose report shall we believe? We shall believe the report of the Lord. There may not always be evidence. There may not always be natural, tangible evidence for you to get your arms around. you got to just stand on the word of God and say, God said it. I believe it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Would you lift your hands and your voices now all across this building? And would you use your mouth to declare, I trust in your word. I believe in you, Jesus. The demand of faith which follows the development of faith will come when there is obedience to the word. Paul had this in mind when he wrote the epistles, the one that was written to the Romans. In Romans 16, he talked about the obedience of faith. James implied it when he wrote, faith without works is dead. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he writes this, and I quote, faith is not faith unless it leads to obedience. I want to say it again. Faith is not faith unless it leads to obedience. Jesus said to this nobleman, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no substitute for obedience, either in sinner or saint. For as we have seen already, faith that does not lead to obedience is not faith at all. United Press, a number of years ago, ran an article that said termites, termites had eaten through a large stack of pamphlets at the University of Chicago in Berkeley. Termites had gotten into the mailroom and they had eaten through a large 
package of pamphlets. And the pamphlets were titled, The Control of Termites. <laughs> and termites got up in there and ate all of the pamphlets. It is one thing to have in the pamphlet the information concerning the control of termites. And it is quite another thing to make a practical, a practical application of the information. You can have a thousand Bibles in your house, but unless you apply the Word of God. Oh, I wish I had a church to preach to this morning. It's not enough to just have mental knowledge of it. You've got to take it and apply it and change your actions. On speaking to his disciples on one occasion, the Lord Jesus said this regarding the things he taught. If you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Not happy are ye if you know them. Happy are ye if you do them. You can talk about it. You can pontificate until the cows come home. People always want to debate. Well, I'll tell you what I think I ought to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. we got a new revelation. We ought to do this and that. Blah, blah. And they act like they're big theologians. And I say, why don't you just start with being faithful to the house of God? There's a good place to start. You don't have to know the Hebrew to know, I was glad when they said in the media, let us go into the house of the Lord. Why don't you just start with living a life that is free from sin? Why don't you just start with repentance? Start with the basics. Oh, you can talk about it. You can become your own little personal theologian. But ultimately, faith requires action, and action requires obedience to the Word of God, and that's what brings the favor of God on your faith. The second thing we know about the demand of our faith is that it requires dependence on the Lord. Not just obedience to the Word, but dependence. He himself, I'm in verse 53 now, he himself believed and his whole house. When this man discovered that his son had been healed, it affected not just his own life, but it affected his entire household. He became an open follower of Jesus. From that moment on, he lived by faith and not by sight. He had learned the lesson that Thomas needed to learn after the resurrection when he insisted, and I quote, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Those were the words of Thomas. Thus the nickname, Doubting Thomas. But Jesus had to say this to Doubting Thomas. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The Lord wants you to depend on him. And he'll put you in a position where you have to depend on him. He will demand that of your faith. So you might as well settle the issue right now. I will trust in you whether I see it or not. I will walk by faith and not by sight. For every person must settle that issue in their faith. And then finally, the destiny of your faith. After you go through the development of your faith, and you go through the demand of your faith, you come to the destiny of your faith. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. Now there's two things that I believe we can take note of. Number one is the father knew. The father knew. This is something about the faith of an individual that as it progresses, 
the demands are made of obedience to the word and dependence on the Lord, that it gets to a place where it takes on another whole level of confidence. Infallible proof now is mixed with the faith. And this is what happened to this nobleman. He had to believe. But then when he compared the time frame to the, the time that Jesus spoke and when the fever left, the Bible says that it was all confirmed. And you know the reason that it was confirmed? Was because his faith had progressed through obedience, dependence, action. And now the destiny of his faith was that the Father knew. I'm going to tell you what, as you progress in your faith, you'll get to a place where you've got confidence. And people say, I don't know, you're going through so much stuff. But you don't let circumstances dictate what your future is and what your present is. I've got a God. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but my God is faithful. That frustrates the agnostic. That frustrates the atheist. They don't see it. They want you to put it in a flow chart and explain it. You say, all I can tell you is that my God has never failed me. Not one day, not one moment. And I know because I know that I know that I know. On the front of the Pentecostal Herald this month is a picture of our friend I told you about, Brother Benny DeMerchant, the man who's been down the Amazon with his family for over 50 years. They got a bunch of articles in the Herald. I told you that our church recently went down there. An amazing story, raising up this huge church. Man has spent over 18,000 hours in the air in his little Cessna 172. Ladies and gentlemen, that's more than two years in the air. More than two years in the air. Replacing over eight engines along the way. While I was down this past February with a group of men from our church, he and his wife were telling me an incredible story that Brother DeMerch had never told him before. She said one of his trips, he was flying, long trip, and just the humid air and the purr of the engine, he fell asleep. He was by himself flying that 172 over the jungle and didn't realize it. He just nodded off, fell asleep. When he woke up, he looked to his right, and there was a stranger flying the airplane. And he looked at the stranger and he noticed that he had four stripes on his sleeve. He recognized that that was a captain. He said, I blinked my eyes again and the man was gone. He said, I turned around, I looked at my instruments and he said, I didn't know how long I'd been asleep. But he said the heading was exactly the same as it had been when I dozed off. He said, God loves me so much. And he not only sent me an angel, he sent me a captain. Good God Almighty. I got your back. You're asleep, but I can keep the heading. When he came to, it was right where he left. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's been times I'm sure that God sent an angel your way and kept your heading where it needed to be. If it was just left up to you and I, we would have gotten off course a long time ago. But there's a God that has caused your faith. To have a destiny, a place that it is going. I told him after he got back and told me about this experience, I'm flying with half that wing off for 500 miles. I told him, I said, Brother Merchant, I had a chance to get your permission, but they've asked me to write a series of lessons on authentic holiness for the United Pentecostal Church. And one of the lessons I just wrote this past week, I included that story of that angel flying for you. 
at the end of that story. I hope it's okay, but I wanted to make the point that when God develops holiness in us through our, our hearts and our heads and our hands, that was the part I was writing on about holy hands, how that when you've got your hands in the harvest and you're working for the Lord, that you're not by yourself, but that the Lord puts his hand in there with your hand. How many times has the Lord held our hand through a situation? We didn't even know where it came from. We just felt the strength of an invisible hand leading us, guiding us. His response through a messaging at Facebook, how we communicate, his response was this, and I quote, well, just because you use a pair of wings and a propeller in front to pull them fast enough to fly does not make you some special kid on the block. Flying is like riding a bike. Once you learn, you can ride on for thousands of hours and not learn too much more. The main thing is to help strengthen the brethren out in their places. Where we were in North America, I doubt if we would have had as much success as we have down here. Being in a different culture and tough going with all the competition and a lot of things to distract people from the gospel, I'm sure we wouldn't have made near the difference. End of quote. Now that's how God continues to use people. As Bishop Myers talked about this morning, through humility. Your faith, ladies and gentlemen, is destined to produce results when you give God all the credit. Can I just say something to you today? I feel this in the Holy Ghost. If you've got a healthy child, you ought to give God the credit every day of your life. If you've got a healthy marriage, you ought to give God the credit every day of your life. If you've got a body that can get out of bed in the morning, you ought to get up on your feet and say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, come on, First Pentecostal Church. Why don't you lift your hands and your voices right now? He will bring you favor if you show him faith. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I got more to preach, but I feel like giving an altar call right now. Whatever you need God to do in your life, I want you to step out of where you're standing right now. Come on, you've heard the word. Now it's time to respond. Come on, bring it with you right now. Come down to this altar. Whatever your need is, bring it right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Step out of where you're standing and come to the Lord. This altar is open today. Make your way down to the foot of the cross. Come on, bring your petition. Bring your prayers. Bring your praise. Stand out here in the presence of God today. Lift up your hands and your voice.
in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, that's it. Put some fire in your faith. Put some fire in your faith today.